This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. A sad note before we begin, uh, as most of you probably know already, we lost one of the legends in the conspiracy pantheon, the granddaddy, really, of JFK assassination research, uh, or one of them. Uh, He actually knew Jack Ruby. I'm talking about uh, Jim Mars, of course, who died earlier this week at the age of 74. Uh, Jim was a good friend. Uh, He um, was a a guest on this program many times, and, and this program's various incarnations over the last nearly 20 years. We also appeared together at a couple of live events, and he was on a number of episodes of my television program, The Conspiracy Show. And I have to say, one of my great memories of Jim Mars, I was down in Dallas shooting an episode uh, for the TV show. I was to meet up with Jim later in the day, so he called me on the phone while I'm walking around Dealey Plaza uh, just to give me directions to his place, and he... um, when I told him I was in Dealey Plaza, he started giving me a guided tour. He'd say, okay, now you're, where are you? I'd say, well, I'm right in the door, doorway of the Texas Book Depository. I says, okay, take a few steps forward, look up, there's the window, and so forth, and then walk down There's the, in, into the grassy knoll. You find that there's a, there's a brass plate in the grass. That's the exact place where Kennedy received the fatal head wound and so forth. Jim Mars, of all people, the man who was one of the uh, consultants on Oliver Stone's JFK movie. Uh, And his book, Crossfire, along with Garrison's book, of course, uh, but Crossfire was one of the, uh, I guess, the source material for Oliver Stone's JFK. So Jim Mars, good friend. Nothing nothing, uh, more enjoyable also than sitting down and talking about JFK and aliens and the Illuminati with Jim Mars over a couple of beers and some pizza, and we had an occasion to do that as well. Jim, we're going to miss you. A busy show tonight. Our uh, panel just ahead, media scientist Nelson Thal, pastor and best-selling author Carl Gallup's Moments Away. 
uh, to discuss the Russia probe. And um, special counsel Robert Mueller now has impaneled a grand jury. What does this mean for the Trump administration going forward? Some are saying this is the beginning of the end. Well, we'll find out. Uh, Then... Uh, was former DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz running a Pakistani spy ring out of her office? Cybersecurity expert Michael Doherty will be here to discuss. Our weekly remote viewing experiment, of course, what's in the box? Also just moments away, tweet your answers to me at Richard Serrett and use the hashtag TCS Remote. TCS, as in the conspiracy show, hashtag TCS Remote. We'll do the big reveal just after the bottom of the hour. We'll also have our mailbag. And then... A death storm is sweeping across North America in the form of a devastating opioid addiction and overdose epidemic. Board-certified pain physician Dr. William Marone joins us to provide some answers. Then, in the second hour, of course, the first half, open lines, followed by world-renowned ufologist Grant Cameron to talk about A wave of UFO sightings that struck southern Manitoba back in 1975, over 40 years ago, uh, that had possible connections to U.S. missile defense operations. Grant was a witness to that, and he'll talk about it. It was called Charlie Red Star. All right, let's quickly introduce the boys in the band. On the Flying V, Gibson guitar, technical producer Ian Robertson. On the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, story producer Albert Vinzel. And on the Hammond B3, feature producer Ryan White. Gentlemen, as always, thank you for all that you do. Now, just ahead of our panel, it's time for What's in the Box. This is our weekly remote viewing experiment. You, the listeners of The Conspiracy Show, attempt to transcend space and time and uh, perceive the contents of the cigar box. So here are your coordinates. The cigar box, of course, is resting on the studio desk to my left here at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Again, tweet your answers to me at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCS Remote. You must use the hashtag TCS Remote to qualify and to the remote viewer or remote viewers who correctly identifies what's in the box. We have some wonderful Conspiracy Show merchandise for you. And if you're a fan of the show, why not show it off? Visit the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. Buy yourself a mug, a t-shirt, a hoodie, a phone case. Again, that's the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. Good luck, remote viewers. All right, a few days ago, it was reported that Special Counsel Robert Mueller impaneled a grand jury in Washington to investigate allegations of Russia's interference in the 2016 election. This thing just won't go away. The grand jury began its work in uh, recent weeks, according to a a piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal. And uh, it's a sign that Mueller's inquiry into Russia's efforts to influence the election and whether it colluded with President Donald Trump's campaign is ramping up. What does this mean to the Trump administration? Media scientist Nelson Thal is recognized as one of the world's leading authorities on the science of communication, media, and process analysis. He studied under under the venerable Marshall McLuhan. Uh, Nelson's website is McLuhanTactics.com. McLuhanTactics.com. And Carl Gallups is the longtime senior pastor of Hickory Hamrick Baptist Church. He's the author of When the Lion Roars, Be Thou Prepared, Final Warning, and many more. Nelson Thal, Carl Gallops, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Gentlemen, how are you? Richard, I'm doing great. Uh, Nelson, it's good to meet you. Thanks, and it's great being on as well. 
Uh, to you, Carl, first of all, w- w- uh, for those of us in Canada not familiar with uh, the, the process of impaneling a grand jury, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Well, a grand jury in, in the United States, um, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it works at the federal level. I used to be a, a law enforcement officer in Florida for 10 years with two different sheriff's offices as a uniform patrol officer and did some special investigations as well. So I'm familiar with the state system in Florida. But basically speaking generally, it is a jury that has much broader investigative um, um, uh, privileges, uh, they, they, but they answer to basically the prosecutor. So it's basically a panel of people. I'm going to put it in the simplest terms. It's basically a panel of people who are employed for the purpose of, of the prosecution uh, bouncing off all of the stuff they think they have. And the, and the grand juries have a lot of power. They can, in, in, at the state level anyway, they can uh, call witnesses. They can, they can actually... Um, uh, uh, put the whole case out if they don't think that there's anything to it. There have been cases where the grand jury actually levels charges against the prosecutors <laughs> at the state level by the time it's all over with. I don't know if that can be done at the federal level. I don't know what the rules and the laws are regarding a federal grand jury, but I know that it's a similar process of of being the sounding board, the the people who will listen to the evidence that the prosecution is bringing, and then make a determination of whether or not they think it's valid evidence, whether or not they think it is valid enough to pursue a, a deeper investigation. So they can subpoena people, they can subpoena documents, yes. uh, they will put people under oath. Yes. Um, now, over to you, Nelson. The fact that this, the they keep moving the goalpost, it seems. First, of it, first it was Russian collusion, and now they're looking into finances and uh, just about anything. Uh, it seems like once the government decides to go after you, uh, you know, they're not going to rest until they find something, anything. So the question to you, Nelson Thal, is, is this perhaps, or some suggesting, you know, the beginning of the end of the Trump administration? Quite frankly, I think it's a little bit premature to uh, make any sort of decision like that. Uh, There's a lot of forces at play, and we just don't know how it's going to play out. But one thing's for sure, and that is that uh, there's a a great deal of um, two sides. Of course, we've got the establishment on one side and sort of the patriots. And uh, on the other, it's the age-old battle that's been being waged between the Basically, as we as we've documented, Rich, between the British Crown and the Patriots once again, and in Canada, we've been on the sidelines, been able to watch it. Well, how over to you, Carl? Are, are you concerned that this because it is so far-reaching? I mentioned that you yeah. know, first it was Russian collusion, and now they're looking into finances, and and it's it's like they won't rest until they find something, anything. And if they want right. to find something, they will. Right, Richard and Nelson. Listen, I appreciate what you're saying. Listen, I I, I don't claim to be an attorney. I I don't play one on television. I did stay in a Holiday Inn last night, so maybe that <laughs> gives me some some credentials. But I can say this: I, I being a media personality myself, I'm continuing researching and reading, and some of the latest information that has just been published in the mainstream media, and then again, you got to wonder whether you're dealing with fake news or not, but I, just a few hours ago, 
there was an article published, I don't remember, as mainstream media source, but Chris Christie weighed in on the very question you're asking, as well as the deputy attorney general. I can't remember his name right now, but he's the one that actually appointed Mueller because uh, Jeff Sessions recused himself. Both of those guys, in addressing the question you just asked, according to this article I read just about an hour ago, they say that, the first of all, the impaneling of the grand jury does not necessarily signal anything, that it is a working prosecutorial investigative tool. That's the way it is in, in the state level, and I'm sure it's exactly that same way in the federal level. And then as, as to the other matter of now it seems that they're delving into financial matters, et cetera, both of these guys, Chris Christie and the deputy attorney general, said that that's a little premature, as Nelson just said, to say that that's what they're doing. They said that, first of all, that it, that would require special permission. You cannot use an investigation which has been given its scope to go on literally a witch hunt. You, you can't do that without special permission. And, and the so, joke on everybody, Richard, is that the 33,000 emails and all the real stuff yes, that the Clintons yes. have been into, which is, uh, uh, is what, what Trump's done is a speck in the eye. I mean, yes. but they don't go after the big guy, right? I agree. They don't go after the big guy. Well, yes, yeah, so one has to wonder, where is Jeff Sessions in all yeah. this? Where are the grand juries for your right? Uh, uh, and perhaps we'll see a... Who knows, a special uh, counsel to investigate the DNC and its IT fraud. And I'm going to discuss that next uh, when uh, Michael Doherty joins us, cybersecurity expert Carl Gallops. Uh, again, a final warning, when the lion roars, be thou prepared. A new book coming out in the fall. Looking forward to that. Nelson Thal, McLuhanTactics.com. Thank you both, gentlemen. Thank you. Bye-bye, Rich. Bye-bye. All right. When we come back... Was former DNC Chair Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz running a Pakistani spy ring out of her office? Cybersecurity expert Michael Doherty is next. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. And uh, the results of our weekly remote viewing experiment, what's in the box? Mailbag after the bottom of the hour. Dr. William Maroney on the opioid addiction and overdose epidemic also ahead. Right now, we move uh, to other matters. Democratic Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz is uh, coming under mounting pressure to explain why she kept an IT aide on the payroll for months after a criminal investigation was revealed facing calls from the Republican uh, Republicans to, to testify, as well as a newly filed ethics complaint. Wasserman Schultz, the Florida congressman who led the DNC until uh, last year, terminated Imran Awan's part-time employment last week when he was arrested at Dulles International Airport trying to fly to Pakistan. He was charged with a bank fraud count. But he and other former IT aides for House Democrats have been on investigators' radar screen for months 
over concerns about possible double billing, alleged equipment theft, and access to sensitive computer systems. Most lawmakers fired Awan in March, but Schultz kept him on, though he was barred from the House IT network. And uh, now, after his arrest, uh, the, uh, the DNC are uh, claiming Islamophobia. Michael Doherty is a senior writer for Cyber Defense Magazine and a board member at Snoopwall, the global leader in affordable breach prevention. He is the author of The Devil Inside the Beltway, the shocking expose of the U.S. government's surveillance and overreach into cybersecurity, medicine, and small business. Michael Doherty, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm well. How are you, sir? Very well. This is just a tangled mess. <laughs> and because it's not getting a lot of attention in the mainstream media... There are so many details out there that people just aren't aware of. Uh, last week or the week before, we were talking about the um, several uh, lawyers in the, um, the the civil action suit against the DNC, uh, the fraud suit, uh, died mysteriously. The, the lead lawyer in that um, uh, lawsuit was asking for court protection. Um, and now we have this. We have the, uh, the arrest of this... A Pakistani-born Imran Awan, the IT, um, the information technology guy. So help us to understand what is happening here. All right. Well, I will say, to start off, the big picture is we are seeing issue after issue after issue of incompetence leading to corruption that never results in accountability. In this specific instance, uh, it's it's happened as a fluke. It's unfortunate that flukes are how we discover these things, which also you know, begs the question, where are people vetting who works? But this, uh, this all started with a laptop that was found in a vestibule in, in a building of the House of Representatives other than the building that Washington Schultz's office is in, and the Capitol Police found it. And it, it's, you know, when you, in this world of cybersecurity awareness and all that's gone on, and everyone screaming about Russia, you know, and hacking and and Trump and Hillary. This is quite uh, an, an issue. And instead of Wasserman Schultz uh, wanting to investigate it, she just wanted her property back. And they wouldn't give it back to her. And she got very upset about it. Now, coincidentally, then we find out her IT person is this Pakistani man that's worked for her for several years, has his own company. He's not an employee. He's a contractor. And he, about the same time, leaves his house really quickly and moves. Now, that seems strange. So we have this, this, this jigsaw puzzle coming together uh, with the pieces fitting well, but still a lot of open pieces. So he rents his house quickly to a military family, uh, a, a Marine veteran and his wife, active duty Navy. And after they're there a couple of weeks, they find smashed hard drives, routers, evidence of equipment that appears to be the property of the federal government. So they call the government. So that is fluke number two. And this guy that has left the house uh, and is now the landlord is demanding his property back, getting very aggressive. And um, the Marine veteran's appalled because, as he correctly stated, had this been someone that was not a politician or not famous, they'd be in jail for less right now. And so he turns them over and the FBI gets involved. We won't know about the FBI, of course, because they're going to keep tight-lipped. 
But we put all these pieces together. Yeah, there'll be no leaks in this investigation. I'm sorry? I say there'll be no leaks in this investigation. No, and, and, and we piece together what's happened with them. But we can learn about him. So it turns out this guy has got two other brothers, all from Pakistan. Uh, they've worked for 20-something Democrats, all in contractor status. Everybody drops the guy like a hot potato except Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's at a hearing beating up the Capitol Police, saying there are consequences if she doesn't get her, her laptop That's right. Back. She threatened them. She right. threatened them. Now, this is amazing because this is, just, this, is, this is where you have to believe your eyes. And there's a cognitive dissonance that happens. We have seen liar after liar. After, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is just a liar. But it's very hard for us to take in how bad these people are because, you know, it, it leaves a big cliff to fall off of when you realize just how screwed up the government is and just how many trap doors and loopholes have been built in the system for these people to get away with whatever they want to get away with. And so now we have national security violation because it turns out one of this guy's wives one of the the wives of the brothers has left with kids and $12,000 cash. She's allowed to go. This thing isn't percolated enough. And then the Daily Caller breaks this story a couple of weeks ago. And lo and behold, now this guy is arrested Dulles because he's wired $300,000 to Pakistan. He's on a plane out of there. So they got what they call a placeholder arrest because they got him on bank fraud because he got the loan from a property he owned that wasn't, a primary residence. It was a rental property, and he misrepresented what it was on the application while they continue the rest of this investigation. But there's all sorts of stonewalling that can happen when politicians are involved because Congress gave themselves, for the last many, many years, the speech and debate protection, where they pretty much have complete immunity in doing their jobs, and so does their staff. Now, there's a certain logic to that, but we have to stop electing people that we refuse to be held accountable when we catch them red-handed. And when some of the headlines have now not spoken the press at all, uh, the mainstream media has barely uh, touched this. It's terrifying the intentional silence that goes on. So the the potential here, uh, or the speculation is, that perhaps Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the reason that she didn't want uh, to press charges against uh, this individual, or she didn't want to fire him, uh, was because she was being blackmailed. Is there any credence to that? And blackmailed over what? Well, every time... You have, I mean, well, what's come out is he has had full access to her emails. He has had uh, access to her password. So he knows information. So blackmail, maybe, but blackmailable for sure. And this is true when you have the entire, it turns out it's been alleged he has access to all of Congress's emails and that he's been selling them. So he sold them to um, to the pious bidder. So that would be the Muslim Brotherhood has been specifically named. But these are rogue nations. This is, this is what's amazing is look at the press, completely freak out and melt down about Donald Trump and the Russians, even though you've had Democrat after Democrat say, no, they're there, no, they're there. 
And yet here we've got this living, breathing situation, and it's like a sea of statues, not a peep. And it's because it's a Democrat. It's someone that is pro-government and whose business is built into the brand that the government is wonderful and the savior of all. And if that brand breaks, they're out of work. You mentioned Imran Awan having access to not only Debbie Wasserman Schultz's emails and her password, but other Democratic members of Congress. Uh, they um, they were contracted, or IT staffers for House Democrats for, for uh, the last 10 years or so. Is it, and this is speculation, but I mean, has it ever come up? Has anyone ever suggested or tried to connect the dots perhaps between the uh, the leaks to WikiLeaks just prior to the election and Imran Awan or his brothers? Well, this is the type of thing that the FBI is never going to tell right now, right? I mean, and, and this is the thing. This is, a, this is an opportunity for the new head of the FBI to reprieve the reputation of the FBI leadership, not so much the core, but the leadership. Because with Comey, we see an absolute politico. And the same thing with, uh, with Loretta Lynch and, and, uh, and uh, Eric Holder at, at the Justice Department. We see, see politicizing things, so not bringing people to justice based on their political uh, affiliations. <clears throat> so you see Hillary Clinton just walk, and everyone whistles past the graveyard. Whereas in this situation, it's a big deal, and it's a national security deal, and it's going to keep being pushed and pushed and pushed until something happens. But the FBI is really going to have to come up with the goods and hold someone accountable. I think the biggest picture here is that there's so much smoke, there's so, much bad, there's so many valid questions here that they need to stand and look at the American people in the face and answer. Like, how does a guy like this get a job like this? How does he get so much access? Why is there so much power of these people to cover this up when they made a mistake? Where is the accountability? You know, this is, this is how bad do things have to get? Because, and uh, and why, is the, not, why are the Clinton's lawyers representing him? I mean, they're bringing out the big guns to, to defend this guy. Oh, heck yeah. And, 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 when, and if, if anyone, the staffers, get involved, or Debbie Wasserman Schultz, we'll get the really big guns to defend them against us, and we'll be paying that bill for those lawyers. And those will be $1,000-an-hour people. Michael Doherty is senior writer for Cyber Defense Magazine, a board member at Snoopwall, the global leader in affordable breach prevention, and he's uh, the author of The Devil Inside the Beltway. Um, is there any, are there any new developments in this, the other case that's going on, and that is uh, with Debbie Wasserman Schultz at the, at the front, forefront, and that is the, uh, the civil action uh, for fraud. Uh, that is uh, being taken out, and the the, the uh, mysterious deaths of three lawyers uh, involved with the plaintiffs, and then the the chief lawyer for the plaintiffs asking for court protection. Have you heard any more developments in that story? I actually have not, <clears throat> um, because this <laughs> there's a playbook involved here, and the playbook is the same. It is the same theater, different actors. Okay, you start with denial silence circle and confuse wait for the 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 um, media cycle to change uh if that doesn't work you throw out a massive red herring to to let people lose attention and then once the fbi or the doj does get involved they need to keep their mouth shut and you can see why they need to keep their mouth shut 
when look what happened when Comey didn't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> we can't have any more of that. So it's it's aggravating, but we have to get the trust back in those agencies. If we don't have an agency that is completely independent of who is ever in or independent of any political opinion and is not going to be swayed in their prosecutorial discretion because of politics, um, we're going to have anarchy. And and there's there's a big split in this country. And when you show this level of just absolute corruption and cheating and have them get away with it, um, it it's 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 just going to upset a load of people. Now, what also is upsetting to me, though, is, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she got reelected after the DNC fiasco. There's a Indeed whole crowd of people in the country that are playing, I know you are, but what am I? And refuse to want to hold anyone accountable. I really don't care what party you're in. When you violate national security and put your political self ahead and, and bring in these loons that have all sorts of access to this information, I don't care what side you're on. You need, you need to be held accountable. Well, the, then the question is, uh, Michael, where is the uh, attorney general or the uh, assistant attorney general? Why are they not asking for... You know, where's the special counsel to look into this? Why isn't Jeff Sessions, you know, taking picking up the ball and running well, with it? Well, this? this my opinion is he he is the this a successful attack of the Trump administration to date has been what they've done, and that is the left has gone and the Democratic Party and the Democratic leadership; those are all three, not necessarily the same crowd, have had a complete utter meltdown and gone to war mode. And war mode means. They will throw any trash can in front. So there has been infrastructure that's not been built. Obama people then still linger inside. Uh, they're, they're, these people are, have a war mentality, so there is nothing that's off the table to do. This has been the biggest red herring uh, that the government, that the, that the um, president's had to deal with, this whole uh, Russia thing. He's gotten furious at Sessions because Sessions uh, recused himself. And Sessions was like the only man in the office for a long time. So that is, if you want to delay, 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 delay accountability, the great way to do it is to keep them so busy on something else they can't get to it. That's starting to end. Um, The Democrats are learning that this might be a major blowback from the American public on the Democratic Party. People are just fed up with this, and they see right through it. So um, actually there was about – I think there were 60-something appointees confirmed on Friday in the Senate. I mean the Senate has just – the Democrats have been very effective of just strangling the entire process since January. Well, we are, um, we're out of time, Michael, but uh, we'll have to have you back. We'll follow this uh, uh, very carefully, and thank you so much for your time. Oh, good talking to you. Michael Doherty, senior writer for Cyber Defense Magazine and the author of The Devil Inside the Beltway. All right, when we come back, the big reveal on our weekly remote viewing experiment, mailbag, and then just ahead, Dr. William Maroney on the opioid epidemic. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. And welcome back. It is time for... What's in the box? Our big reveal of our weekly remote viewing experiment. Just a reminder, coming up in the uh, next segment, uh, Dr. William Maroney on the uh, opioid epidemic. And uh, he'll um, he'll point fingers and uh, offer up some solutions as well. Open lines at the top of the hour. And, of course, uh, Grant Cameron, noted Canadian ufologist, world-renowned ufologist. We'll talk about Charlie Red Star. This was a massive UFO sighting that, that took place over days and days uh, back in 1975 in southern Manitoba. Charlie um, Red Star and um, uh, Grant Cameron was a, um, was a witness to that. And that really sort of changed, dramatically changed the trajectory of his life. Yeah, no kidding. All right, we will um, we'll get to the big reveal in just a moment, but let's throw it around the horn and let me check in with my, uh, my remote viewers on staff here. And we're going to begin with my fine rockabilly friend, Ian Robertson. Ian, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing a piece of wood like a stick. Just a stick? Yeah. Not much to it. Not much to it. All right. <laughs> All right. And uh, my intrepid um, story producer, Albert Venzel. Uh, I, I will guess maybe a Makita drill bit or some sort of a tool, maybe a chess piece. It's it's my AOL guess, analytical relay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's your what guess? AOL. What is that? It's a term from remote viewing. You're never supposed to guess, really. Like every named object is a guess. You're just supposed to give a description. Exactly. <laughs> I know, but uh, time is short. And... I know. I don't. And you're so focused on the show, you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And this. but the, the the thing is, like, if you're in the zone, it will be a hundred percent. If if you don't get in that relaxed, what do we state, need then, to do to get you in the zone, guess. Albert? What do we need it's to just do? a guess. Um, a, a lot of it is just a desire to know. A lot of it is just sort of the, you know that. Sort of the focused attention, the desire to know, and just the relaxed state, just sort of tapping into the unconscious. All right. Well, uh, my, the uh, mighty Aphrodite says I need to get a remote viewer, like a, a serious remote viewer in here, maybe to do kind of a refresher course, a primer. Yeah, it, it, it helps when when uh, Douglas Cottrell was here. Then then it's very, I, I find it helpful when someone talks you through it, like almost, you know, puts you to sleep. It's almost like that sleep state, like almost a, a right. hypnotist well, would it's, work. It's, high, it's uh, long past due to have uh, uh, Douglas Cottrell back on the program, so maybe, maybe we'll do that. All right, and finally, my feature producer, Ryan White. Ryan, what's in the box? I see something like maybe a, a lawn sprinkler, so maybe something that, sprays water uh, like a lawn sprinkler maybe a, a squirt gun something something like that Interesting. a faucet hose interesting all right uh let's go to the twitter feed ryan yeah some uh some interesting sites as always conan sees a white feather jason a cell phone adapter plug a daniel iphone headphones eric sees a boat aaron a cell phone charger james sees a handheld game Seven Flingos sees a paperclip. Heidi thinks it's a tape measure. Paul sees another box, a plain, thin, almost square box. And Amanda sees an orange eraser or car eraser. Hmm. Interesting, because we you had the Makita drill bit. 
and then someone said a tape measure, uh, which is interesting because I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background here. Um, what's going on in the other room? Northy? Oh, you're pointing. Am I, Ian, did you want to speak to me? No. Okay. All right. My little guy's in the other room giving me hand directions. <laughs> He's the floor director tonight. All right. Uh, so I was in the garage today, cleaning out the garage, and, I am, and I'm organizing. We have so many tools. I recently took uh, ownership of my, my late grandfather's tools. I have my, my dad's tools, my father-in-law's tools. So I'm going through all the tools. And um, so that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to go to the garage and I'm going to put something in the box. So it is a tool. It's not a tape measure, and it's not a Makita drill bit. I said tool. (laughs) It's a ball-peen hammer. hammer. There we go. Look at that. All right. And that's an old one. That might have been uh, my grandfather's. So that could be at least 70, 80 years old. Anyway. You're in the ballpark. (laughs) It was on the tip of my tongue. I was going to say hammer. But not good enough for a mug, Albert. But then I went too obvious, so I left out hammer. No, you went too specific. Yeah. You went too specific. It was on the tip of my tongue. I was going to say the handle is made of wood. It is. Yes, it's made out of wood. Okay, so that's right. Oh, I see. That's why you (laughs) were pointing Northy at Ian, because you think that... Yes, saying. North, are you saying that Ian deserves a mug for that? Oh, I do like coffee. I can't sanction that. What do you think, guys? I mean, come on. A stick and it's a hammer. pretty close. Not much to it. It's a long wooden stick. I did do this motion. All right. Except you're on staff. You don't qualify. Uh, No. uh, You know what? I will. I'll get all of you mugs. All right? I'll get all of you mugs mugs. Okay. Uh, Let's see. We have just a time, I think, for one. Let's dip into the old mailbag. Albert, what do we have? Okay, um, I'm afraid it's a complaint about the new format. It's That's all right. You know, th- we I'm not gonna I'm not gonna prevent people from speaking out if they have we, a problem. We with the were show. expecting this. That that always happens when you change change formats. Uh, good evening, Mr. Serrett. I'm writing to let you know I enjoy the show very much, as well as George Janescu, Big Band Sunday. They make my Sundays very enjoyable. I commend AM740 for having you on the air. However, I must tell you, I do not enjoy the new format. I tried to give it a chance, but after a period of time, I find the original format more enjoyable. I prefer to hear one or two subjects discussed over two hours rather than a large number of guests. I find that you get more detail and more time to one subject. I was also hoping you would do an episode on Fatima, considering this is the 100th anniversary of the event. That's right. Fatima, 1917 in uh, Portugal. All right. And do we have just a first name? What's her name? Um, Oh. Did I cut it off when I forwarded it to you? Yeah, it's cut off. It says, Sincerely Richard. All right. Well, she knows who she is. uh, And um, uh, thank you for the email, first of all. Um, You know... I'm taking all this into consideration. I, occasionally, I get someone uh, emailing and complaining. And they want us to go back to the old format, which incidentally was usually two guests, one per hour. Uh, and yes, you can drill a lot deeper when you do that. But here's the thing. It's a weekly show. A lot of stuff is happening before I get to talk about it. So uh, when I do, when I host Coast to Coast, I've got four hours to play with. Sometimes four hours on the Saturday, and then I'll come back and do the Sunday. So... That gives me a lot more time to play with. But when you've got a two-hour show and you've got so many things happening, especially now, I just thought also it was important maybe to to give the show kind of a new coat of paint. So I'm getting a lot of positive feedback, but I'm listening to those people also. We get some comments, Ryan, on YouTube, people not real thrilled with the new format. We'll, We'll take it under consideration. One point, though. 
Once a month, generally, we do go back to the old format because I have to pre-tape a program. So we revert to the old one. So you're getting that once a month. We're going to keep going with this for a little while longer, and we'll see how it goes. But we welcome your email. How do they email us, Albert? Um, the conspiracy show one at gmail.com. Or they can go to the website and email us at the contact page. All right. Okay. When we come back, Dr. William Maroney, the opioid epidemic. The stats are absolutely bleak. We'll discuss. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Open lines at the or after the top of the hour, and um, we'll take your, your phone calls. And also, if you're joining us, in the live chat uh, on the YouTube channel. And I do appreciate all of you who show up on the live chat. You're so dedicated and so loyal and supportive. Uh, we'll take questions from the, uh, the live chat as well. That's coming up after the top of the hour. And then Grant Cameron will join us at the bottom of the next hour, noted Canadian ufologist, and he'll talk about Charlie Redstar. He has a brand new book uh, to talk about that. All right, uh, right now. The, uh, the stats from the opioid epidemic are bleak, to say the least. At least 2,458 Canadians died from an opioid-related overdose last year. Opioids uh, are a class of drugs that include the illicit drug heroin, but they also include illicit prescription pain relievers like oxycodone, hydrocodone, codeine, morphine, fentanyl, and others, and millions uh, had a substance use disorder involving prescription pain relievers, and 591,000 had a substance use disorder involving heroin. Drug overdose is the leading cause of accidental death in, in the United States, with 47,000 lethal drug overdose doses in 2014. In two years, I believe it was 2014 and 2015, more people in the United States died from an opioid overdose than died during the Vietnam War. That, my friends, is a dire situation. William Maroney is a board-certified pain physician who specializes in the treatment of chronic pain and addiction. He's Bay County's Deputy Chief Medical Examiner and Chief Medical Officer for Recovery Pathways in Essexville, Bay City, Karuna, Gladwin, Mount Pleasant, Midland, and Ortonville, Michigan. Dr. Maroney trained at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology and has been a medical guest on CNN, HLN, and Fox News. And his book is American Narcan. It's available for purchase, and we'll tell you how you can get a copy. Uh, Dr. William Maroney, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm a blessed man and a humble servant, and I'm more humble than ever. Thank you so much for having me. This is a dire topic, and we really need to be transparent and open. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, I want to revisit some of the ground that we talked about recently on Coast to Coast. Obviously, we don't have as much time, so we'll try to move quickly. I, I, I was very um, intrigued by when we talk about, you know, where does the blame 
where, where is the blame here? Who's responsible in part for this? And right at the top, you have fools at the insurance company and the myopia at the FDA. Explain that. Here's what's really important. Uh, we came out with medication, uh, opioid medication that was really uh, important for people who had chronic pain, cancer pain, and it was widely available without many restrictions. And at the FDA, they approved certain products and didn't think that they were really going to be abused or they bought the line from the uh, manufacturers that they were uh, abuse deterrent or it was difficult to abuse. And the insurance companies paid for these without question. Then when we saw that people were having trouble with substance use disorder and uh, the red flags of addiction, the insurance companies ignored the fact that they paid for the drugs that caused the addiction and they made the medicine that we use to treat addiction more difficult to get than the drugs that cause the addiction. And in the end, if you're going to treat uh, with the Vivitrol, Naltrexone, Suboxone, or send people off to methadone clinics, it's more difficult. There's less access. The insurance companies have ignored parity laws for a decade. Now they're just about getting on board right now. But an important series of laws came uh, that was collectively known as the Wellstone Act from Paul Wellstone, a senator from Minnesota, that said addiction and mental health are the same as diabetes and uh, hypertension, and these people need to be treated. And the insurance companies spent 10 years ignoring that, and nobody enforced it, maybe 12. Now, the, so the, uh, the attorney general in Missouri um, has, uh, is taking the drug companies to court, and I, I believe now there are three states in the United States taking the drug companies to court, uh, Purdue Pharma, for example. Uh, to what extent are they culpable? Did they lie about uh, the, uh, the, uh, the addictive qualities of their, of their, uh, their drugs? I believe they told people that uh, it wasn't addictive in the beginning, and then they didn't offer enough data to show how to help people who went down a path. And the number one thing, uh, there's a, a GAO report, uh, Government Accounting Office in 2003, that uh, the government has outlined how Purdue Pharma offered OxyContin, scaled up a sales force, and attacked primary care doctors as if it was D-Day on Normandy and spread Purdue Pharma's um, message that you have chronic non-cancer pain, and this is a drug that's good for headaches, uh, it might be good for arthritis, and it could be good for back pain. And the medical doctors are trained and when they get out there, they're told half of everything you see is pain. And then you have the sales force that comes and says, hey, look, here's what we have for pain. So the doctors were not prepared, and Purdue Pharma had a really big budget. Now, they're doing what they do best. They're trying to sell their product. But the timing of this is just an absolute disaster that medical schools didn't teach pain, that they didn't teach the difference between pain and suffering. And a really powerful, well-equipped drug company came 
uh, with great resources. And it was a it was a terrible storm. We've never seen, uh, to my knowledge, an epidemic, a drug problem like this. I mean, it, I mean, it, it, others were were very serious. Um, but in terms of the demographics and the, the geography, uh, typically we saw uh, drug problems in the inner cities. Now we're seeing it in rural areas, pastoral New Hampshire, for example. What's happening? Why? New Hampshire, uh, the Buckhead outside of Atlanta. Akron, Ohio, and um, even some of the neighborhoods in uh, the end of July in Toronto, there were uh, 20 people that overdosed between Thursday and Sunday, the last week of the overdose in Toronto. And it's an upscale, cleaner presentation. Um, The drug cartels have gone after uh, a guy in a Camaro, a guy in a BMW, and he drives around to nicer neighborhoods, and he he goes to nicer restaurants, and he went to high school with certain people. And the tree, it's not a linear path of drugs anymore. The tree that exists has many branches and broad roots. And they, they realized that because of the pain medication that was spread out there, and then now doctors are pulling people off pain meds, you have adults that are trapped, and you have children that are accustomed to seeing parents take medicine, and they think this stuff is safe. So they start experimenting with it in high school, and when you can't get the pain meds anymore, there's always somebody who says, I have something a little bit cheaper, a little bit better, and uh, you don't have to inject it. I'll give it to you for free. You can snort it. And after two or three weeks, you find out that doesn't work, and somebody promises they'll take care of you. And the injections start, and then your boss is the needle. You're talking heroin. Yeah, I'm talking heroin. It it comes fast. Now uh, it w- comes very fast. When when you and I did the show on Coast to Coast recently, we had a lot of emails, a lot of people calling in saying, "But I can't function without opioids. I'm not a, an a, a, an addict, but I can't function because of the pain. I need, you know, my my I have chronic back pain. Uh, are, were those people in denial? Uh, do they have a dependency? Are they addicts and perhaps they don't know it? What's, what's the first message that you have to understand is they may feel that their pain is justified, but the question is, what do we have in North America? And we have a death storm of people that are overdosing on prescription heroin and heroin mixed with fentanyl. And one of the answers to stop this death storm sweeping across the country is to reduce overprescribing. Now, if they're in a legitimate pain clinic with a real doctor that they have a bona fide relationship with, they really don't have to worry a lot. But if they've been going to a pill mill and uh, they've been getting meds for you know 20 years for a car accident that really was not ever tried um, to be treated in a non-opioid fashion with physical therapy and non-narcotic drugs. And, you know, we even say this to people who have diabetes. You have behavior change, you change your diet, you exercise, you lose weight, and we try to lower some of your meds. And it's the same theory, intellectual honesty in pain medicine 
can we get you to physical therapy? Can we get you more active? And can we lower the dose of your medications? And if that's all it takes, we're not here to take medicine away. I don't want to take medicine away from anybody that needs the medicine. But, it, you, but as, the you med- pointed, as you pointed out, I mean, the brain is plastic, and uh, you yes. can rewire the, the brain. If you've been on a, an opioid, a codeine, or something for a prolonged period of time because of chronic pain, your brain has been rewired. You, you are now dependent, correct, whether you believe it or not? I would say that we, we taught people 15 years ago there is no upper end to opioids, and we were wrong. High-end opioid users are dependent, and the most important thing that you can say is um, the National Institute of Health studied long-term opioid therapy, and it came with an increased risk of abuse, aberrant drug-taking behaviors, overdose death, fracture, and myocardial infarction. Why would I expose you to those five or six maladies? Okay, time is tight here. You Uh, can uh, can stay on that. All right. Uh, Tell me about the book American Narcan. What's it about, and how do we get it? Okay. American Narcan is a call to arms. It's what do you really need to know about the opioid and uh, heroin epidemic that's sweeping across the country? And what do you need to know about the only drug that's approved to treat it? I have statistics in here that the uh, state governments are not being honest about. The death toll is insanely higher. You can get it at www.americannarcan.com or you can get it at Amazon. And the book's also available on Kindle paper and Kindle. When you read this book, no, it's not a Dr. Shivago. It's not a real long book, but it's here for you to read simply. It's very readable. You can read it in one afternoon, and it tells you about heroin, about naloxone, and about the opioid problem that spreads across uh, half the states with very key statistics from the states themselves. Dr. William Maroney, thank you so much for this. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, open lines on the other side. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. A special hello to all of you listening in here on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM here in Toronto. Those of you listening in on one of our affiliates across North America, those of you checking out the podcast at iTunes, TuneIn.com, Stitcher Radio, and TalkZone.com. Don't forget about TalkZone.com. Those of you who take the show with you on your mobile, mobile device, mobile device with the Conspiracy Show app, and the Zoomer app, the Zoomer radio app. They're both spectacular apps, and they're both free downloads for your Android or your iPhone. Hello to all of you checking us out on the, uh, the live YouTube stream, and a special hello to uh, those of you in the YouTube live chat. And I'll invite those uh, as well, those of you in the live YouTube chat, 
uh, to participate in our open line segment, and we'll check in with Ryan White here in a moment. And if you have a question or a comment, I will try to, uh, to get to it in this half hour. And also, um, well, I think that about covers it. There's so many ways to listen, so many ways to watch. So however and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. As I say, open lines this half hour. Ufologist Grant Cameron, after the bottom of the hour, he'll talk about Charlie Red Star, this massive UFO sighting that went on for days in southern Manitoba back in 1975. All right, open lines. Here are the numbers, 416-360-0740. That's the Greater Toronto Area, 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. And, of course, the YouTube chat people, you know how to contact us. All right, just some programming notes. Um, next week... What do we have uh, next week, Albert? Uh, it's the Ark Report by... No, no, that's in two weeks. Oh. Next week is... Yeah, the Ark Report by Rabbi Harry Mos- Moskoff. I thought it was Rosemary Ellen Guiley next week. For for the 12.30, yeah. Okay, our, and then... Our 11.15 is the Ark Report. Ah, all right. Okay, yes, here it is. Thank you for that. Uh, my, my apologies. All right, so there it is, the Ark Report, Harry Moskoff, and... Um, He's a, a rabbi and also kind of a real-life Indiana Jones. I know a lot of people throw that around. No, I am the real-life Indiana Jones, but this guy, he's, uh, he's got a shovel in hand. He's in Israel as we speak, and he's very, very close to uncovering uh, some treasures from Solomon's Temple. It's going to, apparently, this stuff is going to just stand history on its head, and um, we may have a bit of an exclusive. Who knows? But um, the... the um, the Ark of the Covenant, obviously, is, is also the focus of this book. And uh, Harry was on uh, Coast to Coast with me a short while ago. He'll join us next week. And Harry is quite certain he knows. Uh, he's not going to say 100%, but he's pretty darn certain he knows the exact location of the Ark of the Covenant. And we'll talk about the Ark and also these uh, vessels from Solomon's Temple. Uh, he has a map, and he, uh, he knows exactly where they are. And um, who knows, by next week, he may have uncovered those. Harry Moskoff will be with us, along with, of course, our Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator. We'll have our panel uh, next week, as always. Who's up? I think it's, um, who's up next? We have Joseph Farah from WNED. WND, World Net Daily, yes. Joel Skousen. Joel Skousen, World Affairs. Okay, it's their turn, but we haven't 100% confirmed. However, that's uh, coming up next week on the program. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go to, uh, our open lines. Do we have, um, who's on line two? Uh, hang on here. Let me just play around with my, there it is. It's, uh, Keith in Rochester. Keith, welcome. Yes. Uh, following Dr. Maroney, what are the chances that Trump is an emotional addict and that a General Kelly can't keep him in line, even a Marine general. Uh, for some of us conservatives, and we've been saying this right along, unfortunately, this could be the end of the Trump administration. He's down to, or up to, 61% disapproval, and uh, some of his uh, core groups are really starting to look as- 
askance at him. So. Well, he needs to put a couple of W's on the board. There's no question. He needs that tax cut. And once that happens, I'm I'm pretty confident, uh, you know, assuming things, you know, don't, don't unravel um, precipitously in the coming months, I think they'll get the tax cut. And once he gets that on side, and, and let's say, let's look at the, the you know, the the indicators right now the stock market new record high the job reports uh month in and month out are going quite nicely so that's what you have to focus on i think is well, he is he is he is he erratic time. yes is he um you know is he uh does he have a massive ego yes uh is he given to hyperbole and mis you know misinformation absolutely but there's an old saying good policy makes for good politics and the policy um, I think if he can, again, if he can get a couple W's on the board, that's going to win the day. Well, my final comment is everyone is trying to explain this guy in a rational way. In other words, people are trying to give him the benefit of the doubt by running interference for him. But it, it's like everyone else knows better, and Trump just can't get the message through his, between his ears. And if, if he's not rational in the way that all of us would like him to be and if he really lets us down because we're trying to be the same people this is where the concern is that he's just not going to be able to carry through on his end well i don't think what's preventing trump yes he can be his own worst enemy but what's preventing much of the policy uh, much of the agenda from getting through isn't uh trump and his twitter machine uh, Trump understands the base likes the Twitter machine. That's not going to stop. What's preventing Trump's agenda from getting through um, is you've got a lot of Obama holdovers in the State Department, the Justice Department, the Treasury Department, the EPA. Uh, and then you've got um, senators in – you've got senators and you've got uh, House Republicans who simply don't have the courage of their conviction. conviction. So that's – that's preventing a lot of this, uh, a lot of the Trump agenda from getting through as I see it. Well, can I ask in closing, uh, he was elected on the 8th of November. If I were Trump, I would have announced on the 9th that I would not be keeping Comey as FBI director. In hindsight, that, 100%, Keith, you're absolutely right, yes. That would have taken away the thunder from the Democrats saying that Comey gave Trump the election. But the point is that... Uh, he, Trump approaches things like a mafia don. He wants loyalty. He should have he should have seen the shortcomings in Comey, a dirty cop. In other words, instead of thinking of the 28th of October when Comey decided to reopen the investigation into Hillary, Trump should have been thinking of the 5th of July when Comey allowed Hillary to skate to begin with. But Trump, just being Trump, can't put that together. He's made some drastic mistakes. Well, he is. He's, he's, he's unfortunately, I, I think part of, he's operating under the, the old credo that you, you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So he's surrounded himself with uh, people that are in conflict, for example, with Steve Bannon because they're not the nationalists, they're not the populists that Bannon is. And so, uh, and these are, I, I'm going to call them globalists. Uh, for example, uh, you know, the, the guy that's running the uh, national security, H.R. McMaster, he won't allow Trump's people to route out the uh, the Obama holdovers. 
And so, you know, this is this is a problem. He should have cleaned house immediately. Normally what happens, the president comes in, he asks for everybody's res, uh, resignation, and then he decides which ones he's going to accept and who's he's, who he's going to keep. That never happened. It's starting to happen now. It's, I don't know if you want to say it's late in the game, better late than never. It should have happened much earlier. That's a problem. You know that two nights ago, he uh, Trump gave Big Master thumbs up. That, yes. Yes, he did. Uh, if, if Trump really wants the globalists gone, he should get rid of McMaster, but he's giving out mixed messages. He's, McMaster is sacking the true conservatives, and Trump is uh, just uh, ignoring that and blithely going ahead. And uh, a lot of us can't keep up with it, and it doesn't make any sense. We're trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm very conservative. I was a very early Trump supporter, but this guy is wearing thin very quickly. He's not acting rational, and it's beginning to hurt the country really bad. I appreciate your call, Keith. Bye. Thank you. Uh, let's say hi to John in Sault Ste. Marie. John, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thank you for having me on there. How are you this evening? I'm well, thank you. Great. Listen, I'm calling you because um, I have some news that I think the public in general would like to know about what's going on in this city. In Sault Ste. Marie? Yes, it is. All right. What's... I, uh, I'm a photographer, and I've been working on this project for approximately six years now. From the time I get up to the time I go to bed, seven days a week, I don't take a day off. And what project is that, John? I'm photographing changes in the environment up here. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll be specific. Uh, number one, and I hope everybody's ready for this, Literally thousands, and I do mean thousands, of trees, shrubs, bushes, of all sorts, shapes, and sizes are popping up out of the ground literally overnight, and nobody is planting them. Mm -hmm. Number two, this is even tougher. Well, hang on. First of all, uh, why is that a bad thing? Well, it's not a bad thing. It's just a hard thing to believe for oh, most people, right. I would think. Uh, but I have the photographic documentation, you might say, on it, literally, before and after the fact. All right. Two, the entire in-ground power grid of this city, approximately two years ago, just prior to Christmas, was literally ripped out of the ground put back up on wooden poles like you used to see in the country, the old tea poles. Right, the, right. Yes. The entire city now has wires crossing the streets everywhere. They used to be underground in large parts of the city? It's virtually the whole city, except for a few lines. Is that right? I, I mean, I know that was very popular in some neighborhoods. They started to do that just because it's kind of an eyesore. Right. Uh, and also, I think, you know, you know, maybe in a winter climate, it's it's easier to to maintain the lines and to well, repair Well, it, it also provides protection for the, for the line, the grid. That's uh, right. When, when the line's in ground. Um, okay, so you're saying they take, in Sault Ste. Marie, they're taking them out of the ground and they're putting them back on the old-fashioned poles. Except the PUC is not doing it. It happened literally overnight. I woke up one day, went outside, and I looked and I went, oh, my God, what is going on? All along Great Northern Road, which is the main drag, which didn't have any power poles on it, one day had it the next day. And I looked and I went, this is not possible, but 
it's there. And I happen to have pictures prior to, quite prior to, and afterwards. Did you call your city councilor? Uh, I've been stonewalled at every corner in this city. It's literally a waste of time to talk to any public official. What do you think is going on, John? Uh, that's the question, isn't it? What is going on? Because that is, from my point of view, pretty much an impossibility. Uh, things like that don't That's happen. a major infrastructure undertaking. I mean, it takes it, it would take years under normal circumstances. Exactly. And yeah. I'll top it off with another one. The lights, which are normally, uh, I believe they're mercury vapor, mm. uh, your standard street light, virtually overnight, every street light in this city changed to LED, and all the old mercury vapors disappeared. Just gone. Overnight. Overnight. I literally mean overnight. That sounds, uh, yeah, that's pretty hard to swallow. It However, is. Hey, listen, if there's anyone else up there in the Sioux uh, who wants to weigh in, weigh in, I would love to hear from you tonight. And um, you've heard what John has to say. So you've got a number of things going on in that city. You have trees and uh, bushes by the thousands. Literally. Just springing up. No one's planting them. And then you have the um, mercury vapor lights being uh, changed over to LED, he says, virtually overnight. And then the power grid, which was buried underground, now crisscrossing the city streets again, virtually overnight. Well, are you ready for another one? Quickly. Yes. The entire city has been repainted. Persons' houses businesses, commercial, inside and out. It seems to be a, 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 I would call it military grade color paint. Dull, flat, white houses literally turning black overnight. It happened so fast, I nearly fell off my chair three or four times on that one. Well, I'm going to try and stay in my chair, because what you're <laughs> saying, John, uh, is... This is the fact. I have photographs to back everything up I'm saying. Going back six years, literally daily, and I've shot as many as, I believe, close to 800 in one day. All right. Thank you for this, John. Strange things afoot up in Sault Ste. Marie. Open Lines continues. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Open lines till the bottom of the hour, and then we'll be joined by Canadian ufologist, world-renowned ufologist and historian, Grant Cameron. You may be familiar with Grant's fantastic website, presidentialufos.com, where he goes around uh, the country, scours the presidential libraries looking for documents relating to UFOs, and then posts them on his website. And uh, he'll be along to talk about... uh, He has a new book out on Charlie Redstar. This was um, a very famous... Uh, 
Well, just a spate of UFO sightings in southern Manitoba back in 1975. Grant was a witness to this, and this really, again, changed the trajectory of his life. Understandably so. So, Grant Cameron, bottom of the hour. Right now, open lines continue, and uh, why don't we go over to the, um, the YouTube, the live chat forum, and see if there's any questions there. Ryan? Yeah, Jim Sharp, a longtime viewer in the YouTube chat, asks, is there any possibility of expanding the format in length or more shows a week? And a lot of people said, yeah, I'd like to see. Well, um, I would, I'd love to be able to do that. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of, you know, at the mercy of, uh, of the programmers here at Zoomer Radio. Uh, if they, they felt a strong need, I mean, I would certainly like to petition, to, to, you know, to do more shows. Uh, but you have to understand, you know, you know, this is the flagship station. It is primarily a music station. So I'm very fortunate to have this slot carved out for me. It was kind of an experiment. Moses Neimer took a, a big chance. And um, uh, so I'm grateful to have the two-hour show. Would I love to do more? Absolutely. Uh, who knows, maybe what we could do at some point in the future, uh, and, you know, I, I can't promise this, but Maybe we'll do uh, we'll do more podcasts or something, or maybe we'll do we'll do uh, an extra YouTube show just for the YouTube um, every week. We wouldn't have um, I'm, I'm not sure how we would do that. That that's in the future though. I I really can't think about taking something like that on right at the moment. Uh, I will hope I hopefully have some news in the coming weeks, if not sooner, about a new project and a new podcast that I'll, I'll be launching. But I can't uh, divulge any more right now. Uh, let's see. Why don't we go to the email? And, uh, Albert? Well, we got a compliment this time, finally, from Paul of Newfoundland. What do you mean, finally? <laughs> finally, a compliment? Uh, in response to those who don't appreciate the new format. Come on, guys, give it a chance. I run to the podcast most of the time and enjoy both styles. I'm okay, but mostly grateful for the boys in the band producing a thought-provoking couple of hours every week. Keep up the good work. Paul of Newfoundland. Oh, thank you for that, Paul. So he likes, again, those not aware, we have, um, I would say within the last, what, two months, initiated this new format where we have more guests, we have a panel off the top, we move a lot quicker, tight segments. Uh, in the first hour, second hour, we have open lines every week, and then we have a sort of a long-form interview, the last half hour, with a guest. Contrast that. Previously, we would do two guests, one each hour. Some people prefer the new format, some like the old uh, again, just to reiterate, what we do, though, is generally once a month, uh, because I, uh, I host Coast to Coast AM, uh, sometimes that falls on a Sunday, so the way we package the show on the Sunday when I'm hosting Coast is the old format. We do two hours. Last, uh, uh, two Sundays ago, or was it last Sunday, we did the, the, the Roswell special. Right. We did the full Don two Schmidt. hours with Don Schmidt. So that's going to happen once a month. One out of the four weeks, you're going to get the old format. The other three, as I say, we've got so many things happening at breakneck speed. What's going on in the world right now? Yeah. So I just I felt that it was important because it's only a weekly show and we only have two hours. If we're going to get to a lot of those stories, that's why we initiated the new uh, the new format. But listen, I'm I'm paying attention to your emails and I'll take I'm taking them all under consideration. Believe me. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, let's go to Kev in New York. Hey, Kev, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. It's a uh, good evening over here, too. Um, I want to mention to the idea of uh, Donald Trump, and um, uh, it seems to, to be that the, that the Republicans are facing 
um, themselves in the right and um, putting themselves up as the direction to go. Now, we understand that America is the most dangerous country in the world, the more death and uh, uh, um, problems in, in the states. And, wait, 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 hang on. The United States, the most dangerous country in the world? Sure. There's You're not being serious. In America than anywhere else in the world. More deaths. Well, what does that mean? You have to look at it per population. The United States is nowhere near the most deadliest country in the world. I mean, if you want violence, you go to places like Mali in Africa. You go to places like Afghanistan. You go to places like Somalia. Uh, You're not having a thousand people dying every day or anything. Well, that's like because that. you have that's 300. Better. You have 300 million people. Over 300 million people. You have to look at it based on population. The United States would rank as one of the more what is one of the safest countries in the world, Kev. With the population, to think that 300 million people are, you know, 350 million people, and and thousands of people dying, and the way the the, the way it's it's publicized, it seems to be a degradation to society to think that America's leading. Every the world. death diminishes us, right? But yes, but you're talking about violent death. It's not thousands of people every day. You do have uh-huh. you have gang problems in the inner city that's fueled by drug war. Uh, uh-huh. Certainly, there are. Oh, listen, the United States has a lot of problems. It's a big country, but it's not the most dangerous country in the world by a long stretch, Kev. I think through through the idea of law, I understand what you're saying in in terms of other nations being being dangerous. Yes, I understand that, but I think in terms of uh, logic and education, um, that it is. And with with um, with the future coming and saying that um, the elected elected representative of the presidency um, being um, like Donald Trump, for instance, is neglecting to the fact that it's environment. He hasn't mentioned anything about the firestorm over here in America, and it seems to be threatening. What firestorm? Well, um, the number of fires that are happening here in the United States, there's there's 20 fires out there in the northwest or southwest. That, you know what? That happens That happens every year. It's part of the natural cycle. That's how forests replenish themselves. Now, you know, unfortunately, sometimes what happens is, you know, people uh, and their property suffer as a result. But you cannot have the natural regeneration of a forest without forest fires. They're good. It's a, it's a, it's a positive thing. I understand that. I understand that. They have the with, yeah. with the, the old growth of those trees and so forth, where they say that it does represent uh, future growth with the fire that does occur. But with right. the idea to, like, all the flooding and so forth and the weather system that has happened, in, the, in you know, we're in a catastrophic um, um, dilemma. Kev, and with, Kev, I know there's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad uh, stuff happening. He hasn't mentioned anything about like saying, for instance, Kansas City had a ton of water down there, and they could pipe right. that stuff right up there, set it right up there. He, he you know, and put that stuff out immediately. <laughs> well, yeah, you got a lot of stuff going on. You got a lot on your mind, Kev. My my advice to you is just sit back, sit back, and relax a little bit, and thank your lucky stars. You live in the United States or up here. We thank our lucky stars. We live in Canada, two of the greatest places to live, the safest places to live, the stablest places to live, uh, places that at least 
at 12:28 on uh, August the 7th, 2020, uh, 2017, still uh, value personal freedom? Be thankful, Kev. Count your blessings. Yeah, there's a lot of problems. There is a lot of trouble in the world, but there are a few of them on this side of the pond. I can assure you of that. All right. Do we have time for one more? I think we do. Uh, let's say hi to Steve, also checking in from New York. Hey, Steve, good morning. Good morning. Good, good to talk to you, Rich. Likewise. Uh, two things. I'll, I'll make them quick. One, I am a uh, pain patient of Dr. Gosey's up here in Buffalo. Uh, I've had uh, five back surgeries. I've got nine discs that are fused in my body, thoracic, mid-back, and uh, in my neck also. Been off work since all one. Uh, I've been on these pills. They've, they've never hurt me. And people around here, when you hear it on the news of somebody dying, they're dying from the heroin, bud. Heroin, okay? Next time that guy comes on, your guest that was on earlier, ask him where the heroin's coming from and who's bringing it into the country. No, he, if we had him on, I had him on coast for two hours and we talked about that. But he, what he's saying is that it starts out with the opioids and then um, right. it, how it's getting out into society. He describes it as a tree. You know, it, it's, it's multifaceted. You have, for yeah, example, we, you have children whose parents are using opioids for legitimate reasons, but then the kids experiment, and then they can't. Then they have they lose access to it. So where else do they go for that kick? They go to heroin. It becomes a gateway. Uh, yeah, bad stuff should not be. Should, they should find a way to stop that from getting in our part of the world. Second thing is, uh, you heard this past week about the big spill up here in the falls from the water. Yes, uh, the, the wastewater. Yeah, you you guys get your drinking water from from the from the lake here. Not from Ni- not from the Niagara River, my friend. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Well, we get ours, which is uh, I'm I'm out here in Wilson, which is you probably know right across the creek from you. Uh, we believe I believe we get our water from Tonawanda area. Right. Hopefully, it's on the right side of the spill. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, if I was you guys, and if you guys got your water from uh, from the Lake Ontario, like maybe Rochester does, I don't know for sure, but I'd be pissed. Well, I think I think a lot of it uh, comes from the moraine, doesn't it, Ryan? Don't we get a lot, or Albert? Don't we get a lot of our? Doesn't the water come from the Oak Ridge's moraine? It comes down. We may get some of it from Lake Ontario, but I can't imagine. Thanks for taking my call, buddy. All right, appreciate it, Steve. Getting a lot of calls from New York tonight. Uh, let's say hi to. Do we have time for one more, Ian? You're cutting it close. Well, I live dangerously. Dennis is in New Jersey. Dennis, make it quick, my friend. Hello, Mr. Theron. Hi. You just got a, You got 30 seconds to shine, 30 brother. 30 seconds. Okay. Like when you, when you want to be a G, DJ. Okay. Um, I really don't agree with the gentleman with the pain thing. I'll tell you why. Okay? Uh, I've been not as serious as the previous caller, but I've had back pain. Right now, I'm just moving in a certain way, and it's like a knife in my back, and it goes down my leg. Right. And they want to put screws in my back. I said no. Thank you. Uh, they won't give me anything... Um, other than nerve relaxers and things from my back. They won't give you the opioids because they're, they're, they're afraid of the consequences. Yeah, that, right. one, uh, one, one man in an emergency room, I had to drive myself to the emergency room twice, two different ones, and one man like almost threw me out. He started screaming at me, blame it on Obama, blame it on Obama, blame it on the, uh, on the government. Um, and, uh, well, Dennis, listen, I, 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 walk when I, went in there. I, 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 I feel for you. Um, what, what you're giving me is anecdotal evidence. So you're saying you don't have a problem, but you can't, you can't 
ignore the statistics. I mean, it's a it's a death storm what's happening. Yeah. And just because, you know, certain people don't become addicted doesn't mean that people aren't dying en masse. And the answer, I agree, is not to deny you your opioids uh, or to deny the caller earlier. I think it was Steve in New York, his opioids. But we have to figure out how to get a handle on this. We have to stop the heroin from flooding in. Maybe that's the wall. That's not going to hurt. It can't wait, as they used to say. All right, thank you, Dennis, in New Jersey. When we come back, ufologist Grant Cameron, Charlie Redstar. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up next week, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, also... Rabbi Harry Moskov will be uh, checking in direct from Israel. And uh, here's his latest, The Ark Report. Secret for the century. He says he knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. We'll talk about the Ark of the Covenant. But also, uh, perhaps even more pressing, we may get a a, a kind of a world uh, exclusive here because, as I say, he's in Israel and he is about to perhaps uncover uh, some items from Solomon's Temple. He's got a shovel in his hand, probably as we speak. Uh, but when he when he got to the location, he has a map that he um, acquired. We'll find out how. And uh, when he got there, there's there there were these boulders on the property. This is a secret that goes back a hundred years ago. And he, he found a map, got to the property. It hasn't been developed yet. It's a farm, or it's I guess it's uh, vacated. But it's uh, there are boulders on the property. So now he needs to get a bobcat there in order to get the boulders off. And then underneath that, apparently, some um, priceless items from Solomon's Temple. This is exciting stuff. All right, back in 1975, Manitobans reported UFOs over their province almost nightly. The string of unprecedented sightings launched the biggest UFO craze in Canadian history. With sightings for well over a year, one object seen again and again again became known as Charlie Red Star and Grant Cameron was there. He witnessed Charlie Red Star many times and led tours for others to see for themselves. He also caught wind of rumors of nuclear testing south of the Canada-U.S. border, which might have been the cause of the unexplained phenomena that was sighted in the upper atmosphere. In his new book, Charlie Red Star, True Reports of One of North America's Biggest UFO Sightings, the story is revealed by eyewitnesses, photographers, reporters, chasing down the truth behind these still unexplained encounters with UFOs. Grant Cameron has been a UFO researcher since 1975, not surprisingly, and was recognized as both the leader and has been a UFO researcher since, uh, sorry, was recognized as both the Leeds Conference International Researcher of the Year and the UFO Congress Researcher of the Year. He's a world-renowned expert on UFOs, conspiracies, government cover-ups, and has spent decades watching and chronicling developments around extraterrestrial contact He lives in Winnipeg, and his website is presidentialufos.com. Grant Cameron, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. It's been a while. How are you? 
Good, Richard. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate your interest in my, what I'm up to. My pleasure. Charlie Redstar, true reports of one of North America's biggest UFO sightings. Well, thank God f- for you on this issue, Grant, because I don't. It, this massive UFO sighting, it went on for oh, a year. It doesn't get its due. It's overshadowed, of course, by Rendlesham and Roswell and, and some of the others. Why doesn't it get its due? Well, it may get its due now. I guess that was partly my fault. Is What happened was when I I saw the object the first night I went out, I had no interest in UFOs. I just went out and uh, bought the lottery ticket, expecting not to win, and this thing flew right in front of the car. And it wasn't a light in the sky. It was an object in front of the car. It was just a little ways down the road, pretty low. I sort of fell off the edge of the earth, and I uh, went out two nights later, and it came right at me the second night. And I had friends with me, and I was sort of infatuated, and I suddenly realized there was people all over the place seeing this thing, and I started to document it. And it was about um, two years later, I finished the manuscript, and I tried to publish the manuscript in Toronto, and they sort of looked at it, but nobody was really interested. And then I went to the big publisher here in Winnipeg. It was a big story back in 1975. Everybody knew about this thing. And, um, like, the local TV station had caught it on the ground and filmed it on the ground and stuff. It was just bizarre. And so when I went to the local publisher here, she said, Mr. Cameron, you may believe in this kind of stuff. Count me among the unbelievers. And I was floored. I mean, I I went on to investigate the Canadian government and Dr. Eric Walker and the President of the United States just to find out what I had seen. But I gave up on the whole Carmen thing and the sightings. I just figured this is a total waste of time, and I can tell people these stories. Nobody really cares. And so what I did was, I didn't even realize this, I gave this, the manuscript to my sister, who's sort of like the the, the historian for the family. 35 years, 35 years later, she comes back to me and says, oh, you remember you gave me this? And I went, what? And I looked, and it was the con- entire manuscript. I didn't even remember writing. I remember I'd written some parts of it. Well, it's 42 years it. ago. That's a long, you know, that's a long yeah. time ago. And so when she gave it to me, then I optically scanned it because the optical software was out. And then uh, uh, Teza uh, Lawrence from Toronto uh, read the manuscript, and she said, well, I'd like to option this for a movie. And then she's the one that negotiated it. I really got sort of dragged, kicking and screaming the whole way. So the story never really got publicized because I gave up on it in 1977 when I was told by this local publisher to get lost. And the story just sort of died out. But that's happened before. For example, Reynolds from Forest, you remember, 1947, it happened. The story was big for one or two days, the same as the Carmen thing. You mean 1980, it, 1980, it, Rendlesham? Yeah, 1980, it, it, re, it re-emerged. But from 1947 to 1980, nobody talked about Roswell. The name oh, I'm sorry. You, uh, yeah, you mentioned Rendlesham. I thought you were you were talking about, uh, yeah, 1980. But yeah, yeah Roswell, that, 1947. with stories. Like with the Roswell story, sure. nobody from 1947 to 1980 talked about Roswell. Right. It right. was when Bill Moore came out with the book, um, The Roswell Incident, that suddenly Roswell became famous. But... For 40 years, nobody talked about it. And it may be the same thing with Carmen. It's just that uh, the people have sort of died away and and the story just sort of faded away. But now the book is out and a lot of people are going to realize, like, wow, they didn't realize how big the story was. All right, when we come back, Grant, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we'll we'll get into it as much as we can in the time time that uh, remains. Grant Cameron, the author of Charlie Red Star, True Reports of One of North America's Biggest UFO Sightings. This is 40 years in the making. It's finally out. And we'll learn about this remarkable, remarkable story. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? 
This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Curiosity? Or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We are back with Grant Cameron and we are talking about Charlie Red Star, true reports of one of North America's biggest UFO sightings. It's published by Dundurn. Now, this starts in 1975. It's, it, it starts with, what, one person seeing it, uh, and then it snowballs, and then so, soon everyone, like, not everyone, but more and more people are seeing it, and they're seeing it not just once. They're seeing it, in some cases, every night, these fireballs. Yeah. Now, it starts in February of 1975 as the first report, and because Bob Demert, who had the airport in the Carmen area, uh, was one of the main witnesses... Um, everybody was going to the airport, and he was sort of being like the tour guide and t- taking people around. But it was also going uh, on all over the place. The National Enquirer was going to call it the UFO capital of the world. They were up, and I was sort of touring the National Enquirer guy, Bob Pratt, around to all these different towns and people who were seeing stuff. But he was flying out every every other day. Like Wisconsin was getting hit with sightings. Minnesota, he'd fly to Wisconsin, then he'd fly back. Ontario had these huge triangles of, of earth that were being lifted up in Ontario the same year. Uh, there was the highest rate of cattle mutilations during that year. All along the Canadian-U.S. border, and this is where the nukes come in, all along the Canadian-U.S. border, all the SAC bases, there was Loring, Wirtz Smith Air Force Base on the Michigan-Canada border, uh, Minot, we're south of me, uh, Malmstrom, all reported in 1975 uh, UFOs inside the weapon storage areas where they were keeping the nuclear missiles. Well, didn't didn't Malmstrom have uh, nukes deactivated in '67 by 67, UFOs? Yeah. yeah, and they had they had them in '75 as well, but they were just in around the the missiles, and they had a pile of cattle mutilations at the same time around the, around the missile silos. So there was all these activities going along uh, the Canadian border, and the CIA in Wisconsin actually sent two officers in Wisconsin. They had so many sightings. So I just deal with the Manitoba part, where we were dealing with what was going on here. But it was going all along the Canadian border at the same time. And this was, uh, I think, key uh, part was it was the end of the Vietnam War. And um, I think the, the nuclear missiles were on alert all, all these different places because the Americans no longer had troops in Southeast Asia. And they were waiting for this domino theory. They were waiting for the Russians to uh, try to grab the next country. And I think they were probably thinking about maybe using the nukes. So... Um, that's when I discovered, but again, I didn't discover it for 35 years, that in 19, in February, when the sighting started here in Manitoba, in North Dakota, a town called Nakoma in North Dakota, they were busy installing 100 new nuclear missiles. And North Dakota had 300 Minuteman three missiles. They, they were the ones that would take out Russia and China and everything. And they were the primary target of the Russians, because you've got to take them out before you take out Washington. And they had pre-Star Wars, they had built all these, they put 100 missiles that would try to shoot the, the Russian missiles as they were in outer space, and these little sprint missiles that would try to get it as they were coming in to, to destroy the American missiles. 
And so they put him in in February. That's when the sighting started. And then they negotiated with the Russians in November of 1975 and started taking those 100 missiles out. And that's when the UFOs faded out and went away. Interesting. So when I talked to Bob, uh, to the, the guy that ran the airport, I said, how many sightings did you have in 75? He said, 150. I said, how many have you had since 1975? And he said, none. Uh-huh. It's like the it's like the CIA took the drugs out of the water. <laughs> it's almost like Rendlesham Forest writ large because you had the same sort of situation there. You had the Russian, the Soviets, uh, yeah. on the border with uh, Poland, getting ready to invade. This was during you know uh, Lekwalesa and the. Uh, um, the the Gdansk ship workers and so forth. People remember that episode, Christmas '79, and then into 1980, uh, and you had U.S. nukes at Bent Waters Air Force Base, the joint U, uh, U.S. and RAF Air Force bases in uh, Rendlesham Forest. Now there was only you know one one or two sightings or one one craft sighted over several nights in 19 Christmas 1980. Here you had. You had people not only seeing in Manitoba, uh, Grant, red fireballs. Some were describing them as Ferris wheels. What else? Mm-hmm. What other kind of crafts were they seeing? Well, the one, the one that was the best was, um, <clears throat> and I don't think the, the station even remembers they did it, but they caught the thing on the ground. What happened was all the crew, the TV crews were trying to go out and film it, and CKY here in Winnipeg actually almost got it the one night, and then they sent out a crew the second night, and they, it was on the ground, and they could see it was it was going up and going down in intensity. And the guy was ready to shoot, and they actually sent um, two cars, one from the north, one from the south. And the car on the north actually came around, and this thing was on the ground. And they, the way it was described to, to them, they, they saw it just before it jumped in the ground. It was filmed by the TV crew. Um, it was a 50-foot-high object, which was blood red. It was a classic-type flying saucer. Uh, but it was on an angle. It was sitting like a movie screen, tif- tilted up in the air, and it wasn't touching the ground. It was hovering off the ground. And when they looked around to see where they're, you know, because at night they're trying to see where they were in the countryside, they looked back and the thing was gone, and they couldn't figure out where to go. It disappeared, and it actually jumped. The estimates were 5,000 feet in three frames of film. So in the bottom, the first frame of film, it's on the bottom. The second one, it, it's what's called a flash frame, where it completely lights up the entire horizon for one twenty-fourth of a second, one frame of film. And in the third frame, and this camera's eight and a quarter miles away, in the third frame, you see the object on the top of the frame. So it, it jumped 5,000 feet in like three twenty-fourths of a second. And that was the best because they had, there was, uh, I think, three pilots. There was the reporters. Um, it, it was a lot of good witnesses who had this. And the next day they went, the planetarium here in Winnipeg actually went and got the radiation readings from the spot where the thing was sitting. Um, there was at one point, there was a, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police constable who was called to the farm uh, to see the UFO. What did he report? Well, the first one that, that reported it, uh, they got transferred out. And, and two days later, and, and in Canada, like with the RCMP, when you get transferred out, you could end up in the middle of nowhere. But they had reported to the National Enquirer, they could reported that they, yes, had seen this object. So later on in 76, I had an incident where the RCMP uh, have catch me on a side road with a bunch of kids, and we were following this thing, and, and this triangle came, sat on top of the car, uh, high up above the car, and then flew off, and this RCMP officer came up. And I just said, do you see that object there? He said, what's going on? You see that object? He looked, and there was this clear triangle of three lights flying along. And then I showed him what was going on, and he just took off. He realized, do not go on the record with this thing. And I remember the kids chasing this RCMP officer car down this road with flashlights to get his, his license plate number. I mean, he, he realized what I was doing because I'd been written up in the paper. 
so the RCMP made one report, but after that, they they never got involved. We would hear reports about them going to landing sites and stuff like that, but nothing ever appeared in, in writing after that first incident where they these two guys made a report and then suddenly disappeared off the, the face of the earth. Were any efforts, uh, have you ever tried to use a FOIA request to see if you could find corroborating radar reports? Well, we don't think there would be radar because these were very low. That was one of the key things about it. It was like really low. I mean, they would never, Winnipeg is 35 miles. These things were maybe 100 feet up, maybe not even that, 150 feet, very low to the ground and moving very, very slow. So radar, it would be too low for radar and it would also be moving way too slow. These things were moving slow enough. The second night I was there, with a, there was a second car. There was cars all over the place trying to see this thing. They took off after it, and I had incidents myself where you could actually catch up with it with a car. You could actually gain on this thing. It, that's how slow this thing was moving. Well, some people describe them as kind of almost playful. Yeah, they were very playful in, for the first year, and then the second year, uh, I would flash lights. They put these small, we called we, we call them ground lights, and I talked to a guy who ran for, uh, was with the Canadian government when they were investigating in the early 50s, and he said, oh, you mean monitors. He said, oh, yeah, we had those things back in 1950. They were all over the place. And so these monitors are orbs of light. We were flashing lights at them, and they would react to, to uh, flashlights. And that's when the thing uh, came and sat on top of the car. So uh, at that point, it was the scariest moment of my life. I can say nothing even came close to that. And then it was very bizarre. It was sitting there above the car, this big, huge triangle of lights. And then it just moved, almost like you'd cut a film. It just sort of jiggled just a bit, and the, the fear instantly went away. It was the weirdest moment of my life, but the, the scariest moment of my life. So, and we, we chased them for a year. Like, as I said, we, you could chase, chase these things. But then when it came after me, it, it was a completely different thing where I realized it was, it was coming towards the car, and it, was, and it sat there, and um, then the fear went away as it, it moved away. But Were there any... Were there any... Uh, any people who who reported missing time or or anything like that? Well, that's that's the other thing is is this is the time when this didn't happen. People always think that everything happened all the time, and I can tell you back then, um, really the only abductions that have been reported is Benny and Barney Hill, uh, the Pascagoula case in '73, and Travis Walton was abducted in 1975. Right, exactly the same time where they take him for five days to make a big splash. They want the story out, so we really didn't know about. Tra- um, um, missing time at that point. There was one kid I interviewed who his, his mother believed it was the devil. I was not allowed in to interview this kid. His father brought me in surreptitiously one night to talk to this kid. Uh, I'm sure this kid had been had been abducted. The nosebleeds, this thing was very close to him. Very, very bizarre. One of the most dramatic cases of this little seven-year-old kid. Uh, his father telling me the story and the, the kid hiding behind his chair on the other side of the room. Uh, but I would never go back because uh, and check because there was this thing about the family believing this was the devil, and this kid may still believe that I know who the kid is. So we, at that time, we really didn't believe, we didn't know much about abductions. That only started with Missing Time with Bud Hopkins' book and stuff like that, which right. came later. Grant Cameron, uh, Charlie Red Star, True Reports of One of North America's Biggest UFO Sightings. So you, you wrote this book back in 77, then sort of forgot about it. Yeah. When you went back and read it, was there anything that shocked you, like that you had forgotten about and then all of a sudden it hits you upside the head it's like oh my god that happened oh absolutely that that was the, the key thing was the, the one was why were they there and i went back i was doing a lecture i went back to talk to bob deemer at the airport i said bob why were they here and he said well you know why they're here and i said no i don't he said yeah i told you why they were here in 75 i said bob it's been 30 years i have no idea why these in this small manitoba town he said the nukes i told you they were coming from the united states would sit in the hills 
And I told you about this pilot who had they had one over a nuclear missile silo, and they were told to ram it. And this guy pulled out of the formation at the last minute, and this thing pulled pulled away. He said, I told you it was a nukes. And so that was game as a shot. And then I found out about these 100 missiles that they put in, and it all made sense. The other thing was the, the thing about randomness. You assume that all these things are random, and I always say to people now, if you see a UFO, you're part of the game, because if they don't want you to, to be seen abduct people they don't, you don't see them so when you see them they're you're meant to see them and it was this thing about this guy making this film the cky guy where he says the next time this thing moves up i'm going to shoot and as he shoots the thing jumps in the air and i no longer think that was random it was almost like the ufo saying okay you ready to shoot here goes and he pushes the camera and this thing jumps up so there's these two six inches pieces of film which became world famous in 75 and now I no longer think that was random. He, it was planned that it would jump exactly when he pushed the, the trigger on the camera. So, what were you doing so, in 1975 in February? And had I mean, had you not experienced this, y- your life would have taken on an entirely different trajectory. What What were you doing in 75 before this happened? Well, absolutely. I mean, I was at university. Uh, I was interested in paranormal phenomena. I had done a, a study at university for one of my courses, a full ah. term where I went to hospitals and I talked to people about dying patients, about weird things that happen at, at, at death, like people seeing people, right. uh, being able to predict your death, near-death experience and stuff. So I was into weird sort of stuff, but I, I never thought about UFOs. And I, I've said my whole career is being dragged down one rabbit hole after another. I never would have gotten into this because I had no interest whatsoever. And that's where I think that, because I was going to go in February, and, and we never went. And it was only when they caught this film, when they when this thing was caught on the ground, which didn't look random. And then I'm thinking, I wonder if they actually allowed themselves to get caught on the ground. It's the only time it's ever happened in history of, the, of ufology that I know of, where a TV crew has actually caught a thing on the ground and filmed it. Uh, then I'm thinking, well, maybe they needed me out there. They wanted to drag me out. Cause they, my life we all need you out there. We all need you out there, Grant. And thank God. You dusted this off and are presenting it to the world. Charlie Redstar, true reports of one America of North America's biggest UFO sightings. This is epic, folks. Absolutely epic, and hopefully there'll be a movie as well. Grant, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Richard. My thanks to Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, and Ryan White. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our panel, open lines. What's in the box? See you then. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.